Young, back to throw. In trouble, he's going to be sacked. No, gets away. He runs, gets away again, goes to the 40, gets away again, to the 35, cuts back at the 30, to the 20, the 50, the 10. He dies, touchdown, 49ers. What's up, 49ers faithful? It is another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by theqbseek.com. For accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbseek.com. I am Zane. We got Levin. Stats is out tonight, but man, have we got a great show. It is Seattle week. It is a huge, huge game coming up on Monday night. But first, we got to recap that Thursday night game against the Cardinals. A little bit of a nail-biter, but they still pulled it off, right, Levin? Yeah, it was one of those games that I was watching, and I was nervous early. And then they got that touchdown right before half. And I was like, okay, they got it now. Came out in the second half. They started pretty well in the second half. You know, not great, but I thought, okay, yeah, they're in control. And then that fourth quarter came, and Arizona just kept moving the ball. And then they had the big play. And I was like, are they really going to blow this? Is this how the perfect record's going to end? Is this how I'm going to have to do my first losing podcast? <laughs> well, <laughs> luckily for you, it is another victory podcast. Eight in a row, by the way, for those of you that are counting at home. And I think that the biggest thing that you can take away from this game, first of all, that Thursday night games are garbage and they're ridiculous and they shouldn't be played unless they're on Thanksgiving. And the second thing is, is that you can have your defense play C plus game and still win the game. They weren't particularly good on defense. The Niners weren't particularly good running the ball. It was the Jimmy Garoppolo show. He carried this team the way that a lot of people hoped he would carry them. And he was fantastic. He probably had his best game as a Niner. Threw for four touchdowns for 300 yards. He was hitting guys like the throw to Emmanuel Sanders on the outcut was the, the one that we've seen a thousand times now on Twitter and, and on YouTube. It's just such a good throw. He threw that before Sanders made his break and literally it landed right in his bread basket. And that's a throw that you see guys making when they played five years together, not when like they played two games together. The fact that he's finding that kind of chemistry with these guys now and having Emmanuel Sanders basically run run seamlessly into this offense to me it's it bodes so well if everybody can stay healthy it bodes really well for the second half of the schedule that gets really tough really quick yeah it's the superstar jimmy that people have said is there and it just hasn't quite shown itself at least not consistently that's the true superstar i mean from his pocket awareness where he was able to avoid the rush he he has a you know i don't want to compare him to this person because he's not that great of a quarterback but he has that Eli Manning way about him. I think he's a little more athletic than Eli Manning, but Eli Manning used to have such a knack for not the biggest athlete in the world, but he would take that sidestep or, or step up and lean his body to avoid a rush. And the guy might get a hand on him, but he can't bring him down and he gets away. I just, he was able to do that. And then he was able to deliver his act with accuracy on the deep balls. And then there was also, you know, I made a post about it on Twitter about, just how great he was and it's really to me the signature jimmy skill of not having his feet set not having his feet in a manner that a coach would want yet he still can deliver a ball 30 40 50 yards downfield with pinpoint accuracy he just has this knack for being able to contort his body and even though he's thrown off his back foot or leaning one direction and not stepping in the throw he gets it done and he gets it done he can put zip on it or you could put loft on it. It, it. It's a very underrated skill, I think, for Jimmy. 
And we're going to talk about that and a lot more with our guest today, who is Jeff Dini from Pro Football Focus, somebody who I follow, who is a great follow that puts out advanced analytics surrounding the 49ers and what they've done this year. It's not just showing up in the analytics. It's showing up actually on the field in, in statistics too, like raw stats as well. It's just been so impressive. And we talk about that and a whole lot more with Jeff. And joining us today, we have Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus. Jeff, thank you so much for taking the time to join us tonight. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Thanks, guys, for having me. And and I just want to get right into it, man. The Niners are undefeated. There's a ton of excitement around the Bay Area and surrounding the 49ers. How surprised are you that the Niners are actually the last undefeated team with New England going down to the Ravens? Yeah, I mean, very surprised. I, you know, predicting the record before, you know, the start of the season, I had him going 8-8, eight and eight, so... I guess there's still a very, very slight chance that could happen, but let's hope not. Um, so the fact, I mean, I kind of thought if everything came together, you know, the defense came together, they stayed healthy, which honestly they really haven't for the most part. I mean, they haven't had any injuries to any like, you know, Garoppolo or, you know, Nick Bosa had the ankle injury early on. But I mean, some of the, the really key players, but, they, you know, they've had injuries, you know, you know, Quan Alexander is obviously gone for the year. You know, Weatherspoon's been gone. They lost Staley for a while. McGlinchey can go on. but. Um, I kind of thought everything went right, that maybe they could win 10 or 11 games. Um, so the fact that they're 8-0 right now, I mean, is I mean the defense is playing is better than I could even imagine. I mean, I think, you know, you kind of thought with, with, with Ford and Bosa is, you know, your two edge rushers, you could dream of having a, a pass rush that this, is this good and the fact that it's happening. I mean, they're just dominating um, opposing offenses so far. I mean, obviously there's a little blip at the end of the Arizona game, but I mean, this is they're, they're putting up numbers that just, I mean, like, you know, historic defensive numbers so far. So, I mean, it's, you can't ask for anything more so far in the first eight games. I was of the same school of thought where I thought the Niners would go eight and eight, and that would be a good year because nobody saw this coming, right? Like I, everybody wanted this to happen, but nobody saw this coming. So now that they're eight and zero, do we kind of realign our expectations? Like what, uh, what are the expectations now for the 49ers going forward? I mean, I think, I mean, I, you know, I, they're not going to go 16-0, I don't think, obviously. But, you know, the schedule gets a lot tougher. There's the three-game stretch with with Green Bay and then at New Orleans and at Baltimore. And we saw how well Baltimore played last night um, against New England. So, I mean, that's a, those, that's a three-game stretch where if you somehow were able to pull off two of those, you're doing really well. Um, you know, they've still got a couple other tough games. They're going to be at Seattle. The Rams, you know, at home is not going to be an easy one either. So, I mean, I think... I mean, if you really go down the list, I mean, you, you have Arizona, you got Atlanta, those should be wins. Um, but I mean, I think, you know, 12, 13 wins is definitely not out of, uh, I mean, I think it's probably what you're looking at right now if, if they can stay healthy and, you know, you're fighting for home field advantage, you're fighting for a buy at this point. Obviously, you're still fighting for the division. That The game against Seattle is going to be huge on Monday night. But I mean, I don't think fighting for the one and two seed is not out of the realm of possibility. And I mean... They've been the best team in football for the first eight games of the year. So, I mean, I, I think they're, it's a legitimate Super Bowl contender at this point. Yeah, I think uh, you, you look at it, if they go four and four in the second half, people might be disappointed with that. But four and four is somewhat realistic, and that puts them at 12 and four. That's likely a first round bye. I mean, winning three out of five in the second half would be a letdown. That still puts them potentially in position to get a bye with 11 wins. Sometimes that gets a first round bye. But I wanted to ask you a question going back to the defense about Eric Armstead. You know, everybody knows he's going to be a free agent, but he's shown so much more this season. He's gotten better results, even if before he rated out as somebody that was a good player 
this season he has five and a half sacks on pace for 11. He's on pace for over 50 tackles as a defensive lineman. My, my question to you would be, how much is it that he's improved as a player and how much is it that because they have the edge rushers to take all that attention away that he's able to kind of shine more now? Yeah, I mean, I think it's a couple of things. I think one is he's been healthy. I think he's been fighting injuries almost throughout his whole career. And, you know, he's missed a bunch of games. Even when he's played, he's been fighting stuff. You know, he had played the cast on his hand for a few weeks. He had shoulder problems one year. Um, so I think it's probably half that and half, just like I said, you know, it's the whole adage, you know, you can't double team everybody. And, you know, you got Ford and, and Buckner and Bosa as the other three guys, you know, at the, at the defensive line. I mean, he, he's going to have some some advantages, you know, there against the opposing offensive line. And he's, you know, he's the other thing is, you know, he's he's always been very proficient as a pass rusher or productive where um, he's been getting a lot of pressures, but not turning him into sacks. And I think this is one year where it's been a little different. He's got five and a half. And I think some of that, like I said, is probably some of the, the help around him, you know, some of his teammates as well. But, you know, he's he's actually the number one um, edge defender in the league against the run in our grading. He's got 91.0 grade against the run, which is tops among all edge guys. He's actually overall grade is 88.8, which is uh, it was just sixth among edge defenders. So um, grading out very well. He's got 20 quarterback pressures, which is fourth on the team behind Buckner, Bosa, and Ford. So, um, like I said, he's turning a lot of the pressures – pastures that he wasn't turning into sacks he's turning into sacks and he's playing really strong against the run and and for him you know it's a contract year so it's it's happening right at the right time yeah and just to follow up with armstead maybe this is getting into a, a realm you don't want to predict but if you're the 49ers he's kind of broken out he's going to need a big contract is he worth keeping around or is somebody who's also rating well there as, as like a dj jones who could step in and fill some of those slots. If you were the Niners, would you see Armstead as a guy you need to definitely re-sign? Or because of the depth, you can let him at least test the market? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you got a lot of guys you're going to have to worry about signing. Obviously, you know, DeForest Buckner is another one. You know, George Kittle is going to need an extension down the road who's going to break the bank. Um, so, and, you know, Bosa is a rookie, but you're looking way down the line two or three years, I think you're going to want to give him an extension. So. I mean, I think the question is, what is the market's like for him? I mean, he's been really good this year, but I mean, I don't want to say he's a one-year wonder, but this is the first year he's really put it all together. Is some team going to offer him a ton of guaranteed money based on one year? It's possible. And if that's the case, you probably may have to make a decision. You know, probably isn't the wisest move to to lock him up with a ton of money, a ton of guaranteed money when you have all these other guys, especially when you you know you spend a bunch of money on D four as well. So you've already invested a lot of money on the defensive line as it is. Um, I kind of think it's one of the things I'd love to keep him, but um, with the salary cap and some of these other young players that they have that they're going to have to resign pretty soon, it's it's going to be tough. So you mentioned the analytics behind Eric Armstead, and the 49ers are a unique team where sometimes with PFF, you'll see the analytics slanted towards a player or a team that may not reflect in their record or their statistics, but the Niners are that rare team that you see that it's like, it's showing up everywhere. It's showing up in their stats. It's showing up on game day. It's showing up in their PFF analytics. Like what aspect of this team stands out to you the most when you look at their analytics? Um, I would probably say the defensive line more than anything. Just like you said, we talked about, you know, Bosa and Ford and Buckner. Um, you know, one of the, one of the kind of, you know, metrics we have is something called pass rush productivity rating, which basically it's kind of takes pressure rate. You know, the amount of pressures compared to how many snaps you have or how many pass rush snaps you have. 
Um, and it's kind of weighted towards sacks. It's a little higher, but I mean, they have guys who um, are near the, I mean, Nick Bosa leads all edge defenders um, in pass rush productivity rating in our site. Um, you know, D Ford, I think is in the top five. Um, Arm says not far behind either. So, I mean, I think you're getting guys who at least on the edge are, you know, aside from pass rush grade and stuff like that. I mean, just from a pressure rate, I mean, Nick Bosa um, leads the league in pressure rate as well. Um, so just some of those analytics, I think, are just showing how strong the pass rush is. Um, from a team standpoint, um, they're 10th in pressure rate, which is good, but it's not quite outstanding at 36%. Um, but I think you have to look at a few factors. One, their sack rate's 11%, which is best in the league. Um, and their sack efficiency is 29%, which is best in the league, which basically means that 29% of the time that they're getting a, a pressure on the quarterback, they're converting into a sack. Um, and they're doing all that most of the time, only rushing four. They're blitzing only 18% of the time, which is the third uh, lowest amount in the league. So they're not having to send extra guys to get this pressure and get these sacks all the time. They're able to, to just rush four, which makes life a lot easier on the back end. That's, I think, why you've seen some better coverage numbers and metrics as well from, from the secondary and, and the linebacking core. So you mentioned that they're playing at a historical rate. And we're looking at this every week and we're like, man, can this be sustained? We look at what they do to all these opposing quarterbacks with the exception of the game against the Cardinals and Kyler Murray, which really came down one play that they allowed the Isabella touchdown 88 yards that kind of skewed the statistics. But we look at this defense and can they really sustain this all year? Is this really a, a reasonable expectation for us to have where they're just going to bury every single team that they play? I mean, honestly, no. I think, I mean, I, think, I can't remember what the streak was with the four or five games or whatever where they were holding teams under 100 yards passing. I mean, that's just, that's just something ridiculous you can't sustain. I think, one, just for a whole season, it's just too long. But two, I think you're, you're going to see where, you know, they have Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees coming up and Russell Wilson this week who's, I mean, playing at an MVP level right now. He's our top-rated quarterback in our system right now um so i think you know you don't get the mason rudolph and you know baker mayfield struggling and some of these other guys um so the level of competition is going to increase but i think just you know this is just one of those things where i mean i expect them to still play at a very high level and be one of the best defenses you know best defenses in the league going forward but you know some of these numbers they're putting up you just can't sustain over a 16 game season they're just they're just too incredible and sticking with the defense uh, for at least one more question i wanted to ask you more specific to one player and that's Richard Sherman you know in, in in some statistics and analytics he he's still an elite corner you know like the yards per target he's still up there with the league leaders at one point was leading the league but at the same time we've talked on this show about how he's kind of just playing off his guy and he he's kind of playing it safe and he's doing well but there's also room for a team to exploit him playing so off the guys in your opinion though do you think he's still an elite corner or do you think he's dropped down a little bit? Um, I, I mean, obviously he's not the player he was four or five years ago when he was in his, when it was, you know, his peak. Um, I think, you know, just age and, and the Achilles injury and so on and so forth. Like I said, he's, I, I think it's part of the scheme and not playing quite as much, you know, press man as they were, you know, back in during his prime in Seattle. But I mean, looking at some of our metrics, I mean, grade wise, he's at, uh, I think 82.2 overall, which was fourth best among corners. His coverage grades 84.9, which is third. Pass rating allows 35.7, which is uh, second best among corners. Um, he's out, like you mentioned, yards allowed per snap and coverage is 0.61. He's second there. Um, so, I mean, I think he's kind of doing a little different way than he has in the past, but um, 
you know, kind of more of the savvy veteran, I guess, than supposed than more than just, you know, the athletic building more he had in his late twenties or, or mid twenties. But, um, he's, you know, I think he's definitely a lot healthier than he was last year. I don't think he had really recovered from that Achilles last season. And I still think he's a hundred percent, but I think he's a lot better off, um, now. And I think it's showing, um, just in his grades and his metrics. And I think obviously having the pass rush in front of him that he did not have last year is, is it helps a lot as well. I think the other guys on that list on the passer rating allowed list, you said Sherman was second. I think at one point Emmanuel Mosley was like third or he was second. I think they flip-flopped. What do you think about Emmanuel Mosley and the job that he's done filling in for Akela Witherspoon? Yeah. I mean, if you toss out the, uh, the, the play to Isabella, which was the 88 yard touchdown. I mean, he's been fantastic. And I think it was last week before the Arizona game, Mosley was second and Sherman was third. And then obviously the 88 yard touchdown kind of, excuse your passer rating, but he had only allowed, I think 50, I can't remember it was 40 or 50 yards receiving total. I might've been 55 um, coming in to the Arizona game. And then in one play at, you know, it was 88 yards. And so like, you know, but uh, I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> after that, yeah, I think it was four or five starts. You know, so just one play has kind of flipped a little bit of it. it was, you know, the coverage stats and the pass rating and stuff is, is kind of got a little out of whack there, but I mean, he's graded very well. Um, he's got 74.4 grade and coverage grade on our site. So, you know, Withers would have been fantastic those first few weeks before he got hurt. And um, Mosley has been one of those guys. I and mean, we can probably talk about the tackles and stuff later that, you know, one of these unheralded guys has stepped in and has played really well when uh, one of the, the starters has been hurt. Now transitioning to the other side of the ball, I'm going to broach the quarterback subject, you know, it's always popular to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. And what I wanted to ask you, because by the traditional statistics, he's been mediocre. You know, he has the great completion percentage, but his his yards and his touchdowns to interceptions, those are all a little above average, but not not great, not not the superstar some people thought he was gonna be. But from an analytical standpoint, it seems like when you watch the entire game, the eyeball test he looks like a star do you yeah. kind of see him more as that star or kind of holding back there where he's more just kind of an above average quarterback um I, I almost want to say a little both I mean I think you look at the eyeball test and especially some of the throws he made last week um I know there you know the, the one with Emmanuel Sanders I think it was a little bit of a corner route type route where he he threw it before Sanders even broke and hit him right as he was turning around it was incredible but I think my favorite one was on the last drive, I think it was the first series of downs, like third and 11. Um, they were back about their own 25 or so. And he had Chandler Jones right in his face about the blast. I mean, he just kind of flat-footed one to Sanders for the first down to keep the drive going, which was a huge throw. I mean, stuff like that. There's only a few quarterbacks in the league can do. So, I mean, like I said, from the eyeball test, there's there, every once in a while he does things where, you know, like I said, there's only a handful of quarterbacks in the league can do them. Um, you know, I think he's still – I know it's his sixth year in the league, but I think he's still trying to kind of reach his potential. And I think he's still probably, there's probably a little, I mean, I think each week it passes a bit, but there's still a little bit of physical mental stuff with the knee um, and getting confidence in that as well. And I mean, my biggest knock on him right now is just, it seems like with the exception of the Arizona game, he seems to have like one really big head scratcher throw a week, you know, really bad pick or whatever. Um, He finally kind of, didn't do that last week, so hopefully maybe that's something going forward. He's 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 shed a little bit, but you know he hasn't been putting up the big stats, but he hasn't had to. I mean, 
with the way this defense has been playing and, I mean, the running game for the most part for most of the season, that they really didn't need him to do much. And basically just wanted him to be efficient, move the ball a little bit, and just not turn the ball over. I mean, honestly, most of these games have been where if, as long as they didn't turn the ball over four or five times, they were going to win. I mean, you look at Pittsburgh as an example, it did turn the ball five or five times and they barely won. But and, and every time I've been on the radio and on a podcast like the last four or five weeks, I get asked about Garoppolo and I kind of get the same answer. It's like they haven't needed him to throw for three or 350 yet to win a game. At some point, they're going to need to do that. And it actually happened against Arizona. And he had his best game of the season. I mean, in our grading, it was his highest grade since the Jacksonville game back in 2017. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I think, you know, he's not putting up, you know, the, the Drew Brees numbers where he's going to throw for four or 5,000 yards. But I don't think with the way this team plays with the running game and the way the defense is, you know, most of the time he's not going to have, he's not going to throw the ball 50 times. And um, and I think the other thing is with, you know, and, and school and Brunskill have come in and played really well. But I think with Steely and McGlinchey out, they've, they've kind of scaled back the offense a little bit. Um, you know, he's getting the ball out a little quicker than he has in the past. A lot of shorter throws, kind of trying to do more yards after the catch stuff, not going down field as much. I think, you know, hopefully Staley comes back this week and you get, and, you know, Brunskill's been really well pass block on the right side, both him or McGlinchey. Now you can, I think, be a little more aggressive in the offense and take a few more shots downfield because you can take those five and seven strip drops where um, in the past maybe you're a little hesitant to do so. Usually when a team loses both of its starting tackles on offense, it it is almost like a death sentence for that team because nobody succeeds in that situation. Can you talk a little bit more about the job that Justin School and Danny Brunskill have done replacing McGlinchey and Joe Staley respectively? Yeah, I mean, I think one, I think I think Kyle Shanahan's done a great job by probably scheming the offense around that. Mm-hmm. Um, like I said, the, you know, one of the, the stats we have is, is basically time in pocket, which kind of measures the amount of time from the snap to – um, the release of the ball or when he gets sacked or, you know, whatever. And like I said, you know, on average, Garoppolo the last couple of years been around 2.6, 2.7 seconds. And there were some games he was down close to two. And there's a couple of weeks where he was like the quickest quarterback in the league where he was just, you know, a lot of quick, short passes. Um, so I think some of it's scheme, but I said, you know, Justin School's played really well. I think he's been pretty serviceable there. He's been better, um, you know, run blocking than in pass protection. Though he's had some tough, Matchups. I know Chandler Jones was not an easy one last week. Where he, you know, he held his own, but had a couple rough, couple rough snaps there. Um, Brunskill on the other side has put up some really good numbers. He's got an eighty-one point zero pass blocking grade in our system since he's come into the lineup, which is actually ninth in the league among tackles. And his overall grade is seventy-four point six, which is twelfth. And I think the other big thing with him is he has not had a single penalty called on him all season. No false starts, no holdings, nor anything. I mean. Schools had five penalties on him. I know there was that one blindside block, I think, in his first start, which was somewhat bogus. But, um, mm-hmm. uh, you know, so I think they've both been good. Brunskill, I think, has been really good. Um, so I think if, you know, if Steely can come back, I think even with, with Brunskill in the lineup, you got, you got five solid guys, especially in pass protection, um, like I said, where you can really start being a little more aggressive with, with the passing game. All right. And, and to transition to a positional group that's, just gone through a big change and and that being Emmanuel Sanders joining the team and obviously scored a touchdown in his first week and then had a hundred yards and another touchdown in his second week. But rather than concentrating on him, I wanted to ask you, other than Sanders, 
were any of these other wide receivers a starting quality wide receiver? Not not a number one, just a starting quality. Was was Debo a starting quality? Was Pettis a starting quality? Did anybody there have that ability? You know, I it's a really good question. I mean, I think I am a big Debo Samuel fan. I think he's gonna develop into someone who is a starting quality wide receiver and a good one. Um, I think he's still like many rookie wide receivers that come in the league, kind of going through some growing pains. We've seen, you know, a couple drops. He had one really bad one, you know, last week against Arizona. He had a fumble, I think, in the Tampa game in the opener. But um, I think you see some signs of really, you know, strong potential with him. He's one of those guys who's really good after the catch. Um, I can do a lot of different things with him. Can You know, really good getting off the line of scrimmage. I see him as being a starting quality wide receiver. Um, you know, Dante Pettis is a bit of an enigma at this point. I mean, obviously we saw, you know, a lot, a lot of potential from him last year. And then, you know, he kind of got in the doghouse. I don't know whether it was just, you know, I, there were some rumors he came in out of shape. You know, there's some other stuff. Um, you know, we still see some flashes. He had a nice catch for a touchdown against Arizona. Um, he seems like he has the ability to be a starting wide receiver in this league. Whether that happens or not is – a is a really good question. Um, it just doesn't seem like they have a lot of faith in him for whatever reason that is. Um, you know, and I think right now, not counting Sanders, I mean, he's there. You're looking at that's your two best receivers. I mean, Kendrick Bourne's a nice receiver. I don't think it would put him as starting quality. Um, you know, Trent Taylor, I would put as if you're going to, you know, if you're counting the slot receiver as a starting wide receiver, I mean, I think he's a starting quality slot guy, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy, unfortunately, after he had a really good camp. Um, and I think that's why the manual is a, a, a huge deal for the Niners. I mean, I like the deal, even though I thought they paid a lot to get him. But that veteran receiver that, you know, Garoppolo can trust. I mean, obviously you have Kittle, but, you know, you know he's going to run the right route. He hadn't hasn't had a single drop all season. Um, so he's going to make tough catches for you. It just was someone the quarterback can trust um, to make a, you know, make a big play. And so I think, you know, while you're still waiting for Debo and hopefully Pettis to, to you know develop, all of a sudden now with this great start there ain't no, all of a sudden the window is shot a lot closer where maybe it was you know, maybe you know next year or two years from now they can contend for Super Bowl and all of a sudden it's now. And I mean just kind of like you see with the baseball deadline, I think they had to make a move to to shore up that position. Talking to Jeff Dini of Pro Football Focus and Jeff, it's Seattle week and this week in past years has not meant as much because the Niners have not been competitive and everybody had kind of a thought that they would just kind of roll over and just would try to keep the game close for as long as they could. And, and here we are now in 2019 and the Niners are usually are playing the, the, the role that the Seahawks usually play of the dominant defense and the, the good running game ball control offense playing up against a team that's with an up and coming quarterback and, and really knocking, trying to knock on the door. It, it seems like the roles are reversed here. What can we expect on Monday night? What's gonna, what do you think is going to happen? Uh, yeah, I mean, this is, I mean, I think it's the biggest game in the history of Levi's, well, the biggest 49ers game in the history of Levi's Stadium to throw out the college title game last year. But, um, so, I mean, it's Monday night. You know, I think for a change, the crowd is going to be really, I mean, it was really loud the last game I was there. But, I mean, I just, I think probably, you know, the crowd's going to be rocking Monday night. I mean, it's interesting. I mean, Seattle, you know, it's made their headway the last you know several years on such a strong defense, and that is not the case anymore. I mean, they have one of the worst pass rushes in the league. Mm -hmm. um, their pressure rate is thirty percent, which is 29th in the league. Their sack rate's four percent, which is thirtieth. Um, 
And they're doing that. We were talking about how, like, you know, the Niners have these, you know, really strong metrics rushing the passer, and they're hardly ever blitzing. Seattle actually blitzes uh, 33% of the time, which is the sixth most in the league. And they're still struggling to put up, you know, these pressure numbers. Um, you know, you know, they still have Bobby Wagner, obviously, who is an elite linebacker. You know, Jadavian Clowney's, you know, is there now. And, you know, he's, he's, he's a good pass rusher, but I mean, actually, his strength is more against the run. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, I think there's, there's a, you know, they, they struggled in the pass game as a whole um, in pass defense. So I think the Niners are going to be able to move the ball against them, especially, you know, throwing the football. I think the big key is stopping Seattle's offense. You know, Russell Wilson is playing at an extremely high level. He, like I said, he's our top graded quarterback at 91.9. Um, I mean, I, if I had an MVP vote, I think he's the MVP of the league so far. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, they, they obviously they love to run the ball. They get the, the, the strong running game with Carson. Um, and then they use that, you know, to kind of with the play action. Um, Wilson's passer rating when they use play action is 146.4 this year, um, which leads the league. He's averaging 11 yards an attempt when they use play action. So very effective there. Um, you know, Tyler Lockett, I think, is one of the most underrated players in the league. You know, when, when he's been targeted, Wilson has 146.9 passer rating when targeting Lockett over the last two seasons, which is the best of any wide receiver in football. Um, so I think it's... And, you know, now you're, you know, DK Metcalf is, is looking really good. They just added Josh Gordon, which I don't know how much of an effect he's really going to have Monday night, but adds to the offense as well. So, I mean, I think it's this is going to be a really big test for the 49ers defense. Obviously, the offensive line and the pass protection for Seattle isn't that great, but, you know, obviously you see Russell Wilson constantly making plays out of nothing. So it's going to be, I think, the Niners defense versus the Seattle offense is, I think, the, the big matchup of the night. So... Who would you pick if you were to, if I'm going to put you on the spot here and say you you have to pick one of these teams who, who wins who wins on Monday night? I mean, I I got to go with the Niners. I'm not saying that because of any bias I have. Um, uh, I just think I mean, if this game was in Seattle, it might be a little different. And I, mm-hmm. I kind of gone you know since you know the last few weeks, kind of not assuming but figuring that they would probably split where the Niners would probably win at Levi's and. Seattle would probably have be the favorites up in Seattle later in December. Um, I, you know, I think, you know, the way the Niners are playing right now, um, you know, Seattle, like I said, the defense really struggled. They're six and two, um, but they've pulled where the Niners have really, you know, for the most part, blown out on most of the teams they played. Seattle's had to pull a lot of, you know, games out late and just barely beating teams. I mean, saw them having to beat Tampa Bay in overtime um, mm-hmm. last week. There's a couple other teams they've struggled to put away that. I mean, I think on paper right now, the Niners are, are definitely the superior team and they're at home. So, I mean, I think definitely think if you, you, know, if you had to make me uh, make a pick for Monday night, it would definitely be San Francisco. And last question for you, Jeff. So if they're not going to lose on Monday night, when's the first loss going to come in your opinion? I mean, I still think they're probably slight favorites over past that game. That Saints game to me just looks like, you know, they only have one loss. They were playing really well with Teddy Bridgewater. I mean, I think, you know, the Niners and the Saints are the class of the NFC and to play. And if you go there and you have the Niners who are you know, 10 and 1, that um, that would be a tremendous family. If I had to guess, that would be where their first loss would come, which not only are you fighting for, you know, like for the home field to buy, but that would be for home field advantage for the playoffs. And then the Saints would have the tiebreaker and so on and so forth. And, might end up having to go back there again in January. So um, that's going to end up being probably that and Green Bay are probably going to be your two biggest games of the season as far as the seeding goes. Well, there you have it. Hopefully, hopefully you're right with, about Monday night's game. 
Hopefully they can somehow pull out either one of the Saints or Baltimore game. I'm hoping they can split that. But either way, I think that it's it's looking great for the Niners. They they really you only have to get to ten and six to to make a playoff spot in, in most cases. They may get to twelve and four and they may get better. But uh, I guess we'll have to see how it plays out. So thanks so much for joining us, Jeff. Uh, it's it's been great. We should definitely do this again sometime soon. Anytime, guys. And thank you again to Jeff for joining us. Levin, it just seems like this team is starting to hit their midseason form now, specifically in offense, because against Arizona, when Jimmy was hitting those throws and he was finding those receivers, it seemed like he was finally in midseason form. And I, I understand the defense slipped a little bit, but up until that last Andy Isabella throw that we that we did talk about Jeff just now, but up until that last throw, it seemed like the defense was really dominating. They only gave up 115 total passing yards or net passing yards to Kyler Murray. And it seemed like he was just really not, really that effective until that one throw yeah i mean murray he he has certain abilities as a quarterback and i think we saw some of that but he wasn't getting that deep ball until the one play but as far as you know you talked about the passing game for the niners being more consistent i do think and you mentioned the anticipation on the throw to sanders that jimmy had i i do think that is because of Sanders, and it's because Jimmy knows that Sanders is going to run a consistent route each and every snap, and I think that's part of what's going on with the other receivers, and that was one of the critiques of Dante Pettis last year. You know, he, he He's very good at not letting somebody get his hands on him, but he's not consistent in the way he does it because he's like a punt returner. He, he moves all around, and that means where he's going to be in his route isn't always consistent because he's not getting off the line in a consistent manner. He's getting off the line without a guy getting on him so that he can get separation, but it's not consistent. So I think that's why Jimmy doesn't quite have that trust with somebody like Dante Pettis. And then Debo, you know, he's a, he's a rookie and I think he is struggling a little bit to, to get that separation at times, get off the line. And that's something that we've seen just how fast it can develop. Sanders has been in the league. Jimmy Garoppolo knows that Sanders is going to get off the line. He's going to get to where he's supposed to be so he can anticipate the throw. And that's what we're seeing. They just look so much better with Emmanuel Sanders on this offense. It just seems like to transform the entire game to be able to free up. Like George Kittle had a huge game, another huge game. And I can't say enough about his toughness. He had the the banged up knee and he was limping for most of the game. He's going to play against Seattle on Monday night, but it just seems like every week, there's just another play that makes us go, wow. Like he ran, basically ran over Buda Baker for a touchdown. Another one of those, you know, tough guy, old school runs that he's, he's had this year. It just seems like by adding Emmanuel Sanders, it takes away attention from George Kittle, if that's even possible, where you're not going to have three guys on George Kittle. You have to respect the, the actual, the, the wide receiver group a little bit more. And you have to know that Jimmy is going to throw to his wide receivers. Like you, you talk about trust. It seems like there is a trust between him and Emmanuel Sanders right away just because of the fact that, like you said, Emmanuel Sanders has been around the block. He knows what he's doing. He's a Super Bowl champion. He's been a pro bowler. This is the elder statesman in the room. And you can't overemphasize enough the amount of stability that experience brings, which is why the Quan Alexander injury was a huge blow, in my opinion. Talent-wise, I feel like Dre Greenlaw can do a lot of the same same things like Quan can. But leadership-wise, Quan Alexander, that guy is one of the leaders on your defense. He's one of the leaders on your team. His in, 
energy is so infectious. We talked about it a few weeks ago. Like this guy, like he, it may not show up on the statue, but he is one of the leaders of this defense. And when he went down and he's done for the season with that pec injury, but when he went down, this, this defense kind of changed a little bit. And I think that's partially why you saw what you saw in the second half against Arizona. It's just, how are they going to replace him now? It's going to be Dre Greenlaw. It's going to be Aziz El Shair. It's going to be those guys kind of platooning. Maybe it'll be Jaquaski Tart playing that position, and you'll see Marcel Harris come off the bench to be a third safety. Like, how, how are they going to replace uh, Quan Alexander now? Well, I think leadership wise, you're going to need somebody to step up, be, be more vocal. You have Sherman. He was he was one of those leaders. I think it was him and Quan that got this team fired up, and were kind of the guys that got the defense going mentality wise as a leader somebody's going to have to step up, whether it's Fred Warner, because he's there in the center of everything. I, I think that's an underrated part of this is Fred Warner is going to have to be probably doing the play calls again and, and worrying about all that greater responsibilities. And then you're also going to have maybe DeForest Buckner has to step up and be a little more animated, a little more of a vocal leader, or maybe even an Eric Armstead. Or I could see an Eric Armstead stepping up more into a leadership role. Somebody's going to have to fill that energy that, that Quan brought but I, I wanted to, I guess, nitpick you on one thing. You, you said Drake Greenlaw has the talent that Quan has, but not the leadership. I would argue that a little bit. And I, I know that's not quite what you're meaning, but I think what you're meaning is Drake Greenlaw has the athletic ability of Quan Alexander. That's he, what I he can yeah. He can run with a tight end. He can run yeah. with a running back. He has that capability, but I think the thing that we're going to see of what he is lacking is play recognition. And that's to be expected with a rookie. That's one of, I think, Quan's greatest skills is he was very good at reading out, reading a play very quickly and getting to the spot that he needed to be in to either make the play himself or allow somebody else to make it. And that's what we saw Dre Greenlaw struggle with some in the preseason at times where he was a little slow to recognize a play. And I think that that is going to have an effect on this team that it's not going to be necessarily both Fred Warner and Quan Alexander flowing to the ball and plugging those gaps. You might have Drake Greenlaw be a half step behind, even though athletically he might even be a better athlete than Quan Alexander. Yeah. So that's actually what I was meaning to say is that athletically they're comparable, but in terms of talent, which includes play recognition, there's no, there's no comparison. Quan Alexander's a pro bowler. He would have been heading to his his second pro bowl this year if he had stayed healthy. But when it comes down to it, I, 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 Wonder, I'm not trying to downplay now that I said it's a huge loss. I'm not trying to downplay this at all, but then the, the, the rational is like, okay, it's, it's a big loss. However, the entire defense is filled with studs. Can they possibly hide Dre Greenlaw behind this pass rush and behind this secondary and basically say like, well, we're going to minimize that loss by having everybody else step their game up. And I think that they can, I think that when, when it counts, they, are able to step it up and, and they're able to show it. Like, again, we had that adjustment drive that you like to, I, I think that's what you call it, right? The, that adjustment drive that happens at the beginning of, of the game where the opposition comes down and they score or they have a really solid drive. We saw it against the Rams. We saw it against Cleveland, although they didn't score. We saw it against Carolina. We saw it here uh, with the Cardinals where they, they put together a really good drive. They they, they we saw it in Washington um, and they, seem to be able to run the ball very well on the first drive of the game. And I don't know if it's the Niners trying to feel out what they're doing or trying to play that Belichick card where there's like, we're just going to let you do what you want. And then after that, we're just going to shut it off. But I think that 
at some point you are going to get into the situation where points are going to be scarce and you can't do that anymore. And I know I'm nitpicking here, right? But I think that this defense, they, they had an off night and they seemed like they were just disinterested in that Thursday game against Arizona. Like one series was like they were they were their old self. The next series, they were just making dumb mistakes. And it was kind of alternated like that the entire game. And it was a little bit frustrating to watch. I don't know if you felt the same way. I think they just had some communication errors, some missed assignments, which is what great defenses don't do. I mean, missed assignments is uh, one of the biggest differences between a good defense and a bad defense because missed assignments is what gives up those chunk plays, and we saw one of those chunk plays. And that, to me, is where, you know, you mentioned the opening drive was the defense – it's going to take a hit. There's no arguing that with Quan Alexander down. So that to me means they need to fix that issue. They can't let the other team start with a touchdown because they might not be as dominant the rest of the game, especially with somebody coming in like a Russell Wilson for Seattle who's playing like an MVP. You know, you give them an easy touchdown to start the game, you might not be able to stop them enough the rest of the game and they end up having 30 points in the game or something like that. But I still think it's going to be one of, if not the best defense in the league. I think they're still, despite the fall off, I mean, they've been historic at this point. It might, it might cost the Niners the historic part of that, but I still think that they have a good shot at being the number one defense in the NFL. Yeah. It's just every defense has, has one game where it's like a blip on the radar or an exception to the rule. And I'm hoping that that was the Arizona game. So I know it's I know it's been a long time since that game and we're itching to get to the Seattle game. So let's just let's just do it, man. Let's just do game balls and let's get to Seattle. I'm I'm excited, man. We we need to get to the Seattle game. So game balls. Who who do you got? Uh you can go first. You haven't gone first in a while. I think I went first last week, didn't I? Oh well. <laughs> I'll go first. What a, <laughs> it's what a been gentleman. a while now. <laughs> what a what a gentleman you are, Eleven. I appreciate that. So my, game ball. So Jimmy Garoppolo gets my game ball. Like there's nobody else. Who who else would you give it to? He had the best game that I have seen him have as a 49er. The day that he played Jacksonville, the day that Jeff was talking about the that he had, I was there that day. And he he was great. And he he made that Jacksonville defense, that number one defense at the time, look like nothing. Put up 37 points on them. And remember, they got the other the seven from the pick six, but 37 points on the number one defense, and he made them look like nothing. This performance that he just had on Thursday night was even more impressive to me. Because he didn't have the defense there that, that he's used to having. He didn't have the running game there that he's used to having. He was creating so many throws on his own. The last drive of the game, he stepped up and he hit Emmanuel. There's a third and 11. It was the throw that Jeff was talking about. He stepped up. Chandler Jones was in his face. Stepped up into the pocket. Hit Emmanuel, Emmanuel Sanders for the first down. And then later on in the drive, converted that third down to Ross Dwelly. The fact that they're throwing in that situation shows you that Kyle Shanahan has so much confidence in Jimmy to get the job done. So I really hope that when they say quote unquote midseason form, Jimmy's in midseason form right now. And that basically means that he's had enough time to see the offense, get comfortable with the players around him, get enough snaps to not worry about the knee anymore. And he's basically just going now. And I really hope that this is a turning point for him. And and I really think it will be. So Jimmy Garoppolo gets my game ball. Well, for my game ball, I I was wanted to make a mention of this, but I'm not going to give him the game ball. I wanted to make a mention to George Kittle for fighting through that injury. Yep. He didn't end up playing towards the end of the game. But if he didn't fight through that injury, especially in the first half when he was really a majority of the offense there, he was getting catches left and right, the Niners don't win the game. I mean, he's really 
the guy that was able to get the Niners in position to take the lead. But it was a close game. This guy had a very good game, probably his best game of the season, I would argue. And it's the most active he's been all season. So I got to take the opportunity. I got to give my game ball to Mitch Wisnowski. Anyone else am I going <laughs> to get it. a chance? He had five, <laughs> he had five punts. He, he, uh, I think his average was up there around 47 yards. But better than that, he had three out of five inside the 20. And his net average was over 42 yards, which shows you that hang time where nobody can get a return against this guy. So I got to take the opportunity to give it to a guy because most games there's going to be multiple stars because there's going to be somebody on offense that had a good game and there's going to be somebody on defense who had a good game. This is a rare game where Jimmy Garoppolo had a great game. There are a couple other people had good games on offense and nobody on the defense, I think, truly deserves it, even though they weren't terrible. They just didn't have a guy who stood out. Okay, fine. The punter gets a game ball. Now he's got his game ball for the year. Now we don't have to do it again, right? That's that's Well, if he deal. lays somebody out like he did in preseason, I might give him another one. <laughs> All right. Uh, also, honorable mention to George Kittle and Emmanuel Sanders, who also had huge games too. Now, it is Seattle week. This is the team that has tormented the 49ers for years. This is the team that when Jim Harbaugh was here, they basically started that decline with that the, the NFC championship loss in Seattle that started the 49ers decline. This is the team that at every single step of the way, if they get a chance to embarrass the 49ers, they will. Turkey on the 50, Richard Sherman with the Crabtree thing, all the, the chatter from Earl Thomas and Pete Carroll running up the score, all of those things, the injuries that they've inflicted on the 49ers, all of those things because the, the Seattle Seahawks were the bullies on the block. They had the defense. They had the running game. They were the tough team. Now, fast forward to 2019. The Niners have the best defense in the league. The Niners have the second best running game in the league, but in my opinion, the best running game in the league because their quarterback doesn't run. The Niners have a chance to exercise all of those demons and put Seattle into a three-game hole in the division with less than half of the season left. And they have the more talented team. They have the more talented defense and they have all of the momentum on their side. This is the time where the guard changes in the NFC West. This is the time where they can make a statement. This is the game on Monday night where everybody will be watching. It's going to be a statement one way or the other. It's going to be a statement either for the 49ers to beat Russell Wilson, who in my opinion should be the league MVP if the season ended today, or it's going to be a statement game for Russell Wilson to further solidify his case as MVP, beating the best defense in the league. So we're going to see what happens. I'm just so excited to talk about this, man. The statement's going to be, I think, that Seattle's either going to make the statement that the NFC West is still theirs and they're coming for it. They're only one game down if they win it, and they got another game with the Niners on the schedule. The statement for the Niners will be the NFC West is over. It's all about top seed now. Because they'll have a three-game lead on Seattle, three-game lead on LA Rams. That's going to be very hard for one of those two teams to overcome with only seven games remaining. For some of those teams, there will be only six games because they haven't had their bye week like the Niners have. But I do want to bring this up that it really is a weird game because this Seattle team has finally made fully the flip-flop. They were a dominant defense with a good enough offense. Now they're a dominant offense, in my opinion. I mean, where's their weakness on offense? And their defense 
I wouldn't even say it's good enough. It it's a bad defense. They're twenty mm-hmm. fifth overall in defense, and worse yet, they're twenty eighth overall in passing defense. They're giving up almost two hundred eighty yards a game in the air, which tells me Jimmy Garoppolo is probably going to have to win this game because Seattle is actually thirteenth against the runs, and the Niners haven't been that great at running. Granted, Juice might be back for this game, so that could make a big difference. But to me, I think Seattle's going to say, "Okay, Jimmy, it's on you." But I do find it very interesting because I, I I can't remember the last time the Niners faced Seattle and it was their defense is bad. Go dominate them offensively. It's yeah. always been. Well, I hope we can get to twenty points. If we can get to twenty points, maybe we'll win. Yeah, this reminds me of the very. I mean, not even that. The the twenty eleven team that beat Seattle twice. I, I don't even think it's just it's just something that we've never seen before with this era of Niners versus Seattle. It's, it's something that we haven't seen before because we're so used to, like you said, Seattle being that, that defense with the, that, that is leading the league and they have a so-so offense. And now you look at these two teams and how they, how they're positioned and Seattle's defense is trash. They do not have a good defense. I, make no mistake. I think the people that pick Seattle to win this game are picking either a, because of Russell Wilson, which is valid and B because of the thought of Seattle of what they used to be. They've lost two games at home this year. They're not, they don't have that same home field advantage. They're barely scraping by. They have a point differential of plus 18 this year at seven and two. That's nothing. They're almost dead. Even at seven and two, they're almost on par. One bad game will put them, put them, have a negative point differential at, at, with, the, with the winning record, which is almost unheard of in the NFL. So every, these, these two teams are not created equal. The Niners are, are clearly a better team. However, there are very few teams that I've seen in recent memory that get up for big games like the Seattle Seahawks do. And there are very few quarterbacks that I have seen in recent memory that get up for big games like Russell Wilson does. And what he's doing with that offense this year, I'm not scared. Look, Levin, I'm not scared of anything on that team. I'm not scared of their defense. I'm not scared of their pass rush, not scared of their corners, not scared of their offensive line, not scared of the receivers, not scared of the running backs. I'm literally only scared of Russell Wilson, and that's it. That's the guy that makes everything go. And the problem with defending a mobile quarterback like that is those off-schedule plays. Jeff talked about Russell Wilson from the pocket and how good he's been from the pocket. The reason why is because he's able to sell that play-action fake because they they base a lot of their, their action off the run. At the beginning of the season, they were actually running the ball 52% of the time. They just recently started to pass the ball a little bit more. And when Russell Wilson started getting his uh, getting his feet under him, and they started getting guys back, back Metcalf was hurt. He he came back, and Lockett was hurt for a little bit. He came back, and Will Disley, their starting tight end, he was out for the season. They got a replacement for him, so he's been having people come back into the lineup, which means that he has more targets to throw to. But before that, they were running the ball, and they're running it pretty well. So everybody's still buying that play action, and it also what what they also do is that if you notice when he f- makes that fake, he's a significant amount deeper than any other quarterback is like it's more than a seven step drop. He's back probably 10, 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage. It's, it's big. There's a big difference. And I think the reason why is because he obviously can't see over the line, but it buys him some time as well. And it buys his receivers time to to get open down the field. So to me, like, I think that what's going to happen is that your pass rush will be neutralized because of that. And you're going to have to find other ways to, uh, of getting to him. Or if you can get to him, you have to tackle him. You have to corral him. Because when he starts running around in circles and chucks the ball up down the field and closes his eyes, you can't defend that. 
Like the, the the biggest thing you can do is hope that you have better ball skills than their guys do. Like I'm not I'm not afraid of Josh Gordon. Like this is not 2013 Josh Gordon. Okay, this is I just got kicked off the Patriots Josh Gordon. And if you can't make it work in New England, you're not gonna make you're not gonna make it work anywhere. And if Bill Belichick gives up on you, that's it, man. You're not gonna you're not gonna really be successful at any place. So the thing that that worries me is just the mobility because they struggled against Kyler Murray with his quick hitting passes in the, in the, in moving the pocket. Like you said, you called it last week. You said that they would move the pocket with Kyler Murray and he did, and he was successful. And that's a lot of what Seattle does. They love to move that pocket. And that's the only, the only reason why the Niners would lose this game is because Russell Wilson has the game of his life and throws like another five touchdown passes. Really. That's, that's the only way that that I see them losing this game. See, I I see a different way. I think, all this talk about Russell Wilson, and, and it's it's for real. I mean, he, I think, he, like you said, he's probably the MVP at this point in the season. But they also have Chris Carson, who's a very good running back, and they've actually run the ball pretty well this season. And what's the Niners' defense weak on, especially now that Quan's out? They can't stop the run in the wide nine format. I think Seattle's going to come out in this game, and they're going to say, we're going to have a throwback game and it's going to be like Marshawn's back there but it's going to be Chris Carson and we're going to try to run it down their throats until they can stop the run and if they can't stop the run then Russell Wilson isn't needed if they can stop the run we'll go to the MVP potential back there so I think it's almost uh everybody's concentrating on Russell Wilson but really it's Chris Carson who could be the star of this game but I will say there's one key to that especially if they come out with the philosophy of wanting to run the ball chris carson has fumble problems the mm-hmm. niners can get him to fumble we've seen it before if chris carson fumbles pete carroll tends to go away from him and you get some rashad penny going in and, and stuff like that if they can do that then that's really going to change that team in my opinion and i think that's one of the keys in the game the niners have to get chris carson to fumble the ball because that offense tends to struggle and go off script when that happens yeah, I agree. I actually was thinking about this today and I'm like, what's Seattle going to do when they come here? What how are they going to approach this game? And I and and this kind of goes back to that first drive idea where teams run the ball pretty successfully on the first drive and don't get much else the rest of the game against the Niners. I really think that they want to emulate that for the entire game. And what that does is that it opens up the play action pass, it opens up scrambles for Russell Wilson, like the read option, things like that. Like I'm I'm afraid that the run game and Russell Wilson will, will kind of take over. And that's, that's the only thing I'm afraid of. Otherwise, like I'm not afraid of the receivers. Like they're not, they're not world beaters. DK Metcalf's a nice story. Tyler Lockett's really fast, but they played better receivers this year. The the group in Tampa Bay is far superior to what this group is. So, and they, and they, and they held them up pretty well too. So I think that the key for the Niners is going to be, you have to keep Russell Wilson off the field. You have to keep the ball. The teams that have beat Seattle this year, the Saints and the Ravens, they both possess the ball for most of the game. Like the time possession has been completely lopsided and neither of those games were particularly close. So I think that if you limit Russell Wilson's ability to be on the field, obviously you, he can't score any points and that defense can't get off the field. Like they're, they're not a good defense. So you have to exploit that whether it's through the short passing game, they love to bring the blitz, right? So a lot of blitz beaters, a lot of screen passes, a lot of those things that, that uh, Jimmy has been getting better out of in recent weeks. I think the last, the last game in, in Arizona out of the first 12 passes, six of them were screens, I believe. So he seems to be more adept at that every, with every passing week. I think that if they can do that, they can stay on the field. 
and shorten this game and be able to walk out of here. I don't think it's going to be a high scoring game. Like I don't care. Just win the game, but be able to walk out of there with limiting Russell Wilson's opportunities. And that's, that's really what the, the focus should be. And limiting Russell Wilson bring brings me to what I think is going to be one of the all time chess matches. You're going to have Russell Wilson quarterback in Seattle a long time. And you have Richard Sherman cornerback in Seattle a long time, now a Niner. And how does Richard Sherman like to play the cornerback position? He stares into the backfield constantly. He's always reading the quarterback. Mm -hmm. So I'm really curious about that. Those two probably knowing each other extremely well from practicing against each other and knowing each other's tendencies. Are they going to be throwing fakes in there and changing their demeanors or fainting to do something to try to bait the other one in into doing something else? You know, is, is Sherman going to faint like he's misreading the play so that he can get Russell to throw the ball and he goes and tries to get the pick by being underneath the pass? He does that all the time to other quarterbacks anyways. Does he know Russell Wilson's tendencies well enough to bait him into that? And at the same time, is Russell Wilson going to purposely mess with Ru- Richard Sherman by running a play that he knows Richard Sherman will bite on or, or something like that to try to get a blown coverage. That chess match, I'm, I'm really curious to watch, and I'm hoping that it's hard to watch that because you can't see the corner all that often after the snap of the ball during the television broadcast. I'm hoping that there's times where we can truly get a read on that and watch those two try to read each other. I'm sure there's going to be some analysis on that, obviously, with Richard Sherman being such a big part of that team and, and their success. But I really think that it starts up front. And if you can harass Russell Wilson, and if you can make him throw the ball before he's ready, and if you can, when those off schedule throws happen, because those, those things will happen to Russell Wilson. Like he, he, we know that's how he plays. He plays backyard football and he's the best in the league at it. So when that happens, you have to really understand how to, how to play him. Like you can't just chase after him the entire time. You have to be able to collapse the pocket so he has nowhere to go because all he's going to do when Bosa and D Ford come on the outside, he's just going to step up in the middle of the pocket and there's going to be a big void in the middle of the field and he'll be able to run there. So I don't know if they need to put a spy on him. I, I suggested this last week and I don't know if they're going to need to put a spy on him, whether it's Tart or Ward or one of these other guys, linebacker, maybe Drake Greenlaw is a spy. Somebody's going to have to be allocated to, to Russell Wilson. That's what happens when you have an elite quarterback that can, that can move like that. You take away defenders just by the, the quarterback's ability. So what it comes down to is I, I should say that there's a couple other ways that I could see Seattle maybe winning this game is a Russell Wilson has a great game. B the running game. The Niners just can't stop it. C uh, some BS happens where some official makes some bad call or a bad bounce. Like, so that never happens really to Seattle, <laughs> man, especially, especially in prime time, man, I just, I, sure. I, I hope I'm wrong with this and I hope that they can, the Niners can overcome all of that, but on paper, they are the better team and the Niners, honestly speaking, should win this game. We talk about strength of schedule and all we've heard for the last, I don't know, X amount of weeks is, oh, the Niners haven't played anybody. Wait till they play the big boys. Wait till Seattle plays them. Wait till they play Green Bay. Wait till they go to New Orleans, blah, blah, blah. We've heard all of this stuff for weeks. And we forget that Seattle's only beaten one team with a winning record. They beat the, the, the Rams off of a missed field goal. So the Rams basically beat themselves. Seattle is not destroying teams like they were 
they're barely scraping by in the games that are close. The only game that they've won by more than one score was in Arizona, the same Arizona team that the Niners should have beaten by two scores as well. So that tells you this team is not the same Seattle team that they were before. Russell Wilson is masking a lot of their deficiencies, and if he has a bad game, they have no chance. I'll agree with that. If he has a bad game, they have no chance, and he does mask a lot of their deficiencies. But at this point, you got to give it to them and just say they're a team that knows how to win. They're, They're a team that can close out the game because this isn't the first season that they've been doing this. Mm-hmm. They've been escape artists for a couple seasons now. And I think that's the way to describe them as escape artists because they play down to their opponent or up to their opponent every week. They manage to make every game look like, well, they should lose. And then they get a break, whether, I mean, the refing, yeah, that's luck at, at that point. But they tend to get a break, whether it's an interception or the other team fumbles the ball or has a bad snap or whatever it is. It, it just seems like they always get this break and then end up winning the game barely. But at this point, it's been going on so long. You got to say there's something to the team being able to cause it. And they just know how to win a close game. And that's what worries me about this team. And it's probably going to be a close game. And the Niners need to pull it out because I, I do think that this is some this is a game psychologically that has the potential to put this Niners team, I wouldn't say into a tailspin, but could affect them for multiple weeks because if they lose this game at home to Seattle, that's gonna take some of that moxie off the off the team, you know, take some of the shine away from them. And and you might see them be still in that hangover of this game when Arizona comes back into town or comes into town, comes back, you know, just from playing them last week and they end up dropping two in a row and losing a game they should never lose at home to Arizona. Yeah, I mean, 8-1 wouldn't be the worst thing in the world, but I get what you're saying. Now, this game has a chance to... I'm going to flip it on the, on you then. This game has a chance to be like... Do you remember in 1994 when the Niners played Dallas during the regular season? And it was a really close game, and it came down to the wire, and Steve Young hit Brent Jones for a touchdown at the end of the game to put it away. It was such a huge victory. Like they were running around the field like they won a playoff game because it was such a huge victory for the team psychologically to get over that hump. And I think that this is one of those games where psychologically, like you have to beat this team. This is it's not the it's not the Rams that's in your way. It's Seattle. It's Seattle's division. It's been Seattle's division for a long time. The Rams were just renting it out for a couple of years, but this has been Seattle's division for a long time. And you need to beat them to exercise those demons to get over that hump to finally say that look, we're the better team and we showed it. The Niners have been the better team in the past against Seattle and have still lost. So it's a big deal. This is the biggest game in the history of Levi Stadium, in the short history. This is the biggest game of Kyle Shanahan's coaching career as a head coach. And we'll keep saying that as the weeks progress because the opponents are getting tougher and tougher. But as of yet, this has been the biggest game that he will be a part of as a 49ers head coach. So this is one of those moments where the team can really galvanize itself if they win and give the fan base what they've been craving for so long is to finally beat the the Seahawks in prime time, mind you, and put that stamp of like, look, we're here. We've arrived. We deserve all the praise that we get. You better be, you better be scared of us. Cause look, as, as good as Seattle has been this year with their seven, two record, the Niners should beat them. Look, let's be honest. The Niners are a better team. They should beat them. 
And uh, first of all, I'm tired of praise in Seattle. So screw those guys. <laughs> screw Russell Wilson. Screw Pete Carroll. I'm tired of praising those guys. No more praise for them for the rest of the show. But the Niners should win this game. They, they should be able to control the clock. They should be able to control the ball. As long as Jimmy doesn't make any dumb mistakes and they hold on to the ball, they should win this game. Yeah, I don't think there's any excuse in reality if they lose this game because not only are they more talented and the better team, but they're going from a Thursday game to a Monday game. It, mm-hmm. It's almost like a bye week. You know, they're getting 11 days between games. They have no excuses. They have the game play, plan advantage because they got more days. They got the rest advantage because they had, I think, three straight days off with no practice. So there's really no excuse because they got every advantage. They're playing at home. They got the rest. They got the game plan advantage and they got the talent advantage. No excuses. They got Joe Staley and Michael Glinchy coming back on the line. Kyle Ushak's coming back. A killer Witherspoon is coming out. Although I'm not sure Witherspoon may play very much just because Emmanuel Moses has been so good on the other side. But I, I this is one of those games where you have everybody back. And it's just it's so sad that Quan Alexander got hurt before this game. But I think that they've got enough time now where they can basically put Dre Greenlaw in there and get him good enough, I guess, where he can he can be serviceable until until he learns the scheme and learns the pro game a little bit more. It's one of those games where like you said, you have no excuse to lose because you have all hands on deck. So with that being said, let's move into predictions. What do you think? I went first in game ball, so I'll let you go first in predictions. <laughs> well, I'm going to make two predictions. One, the score prediction, but I'm also going to make a game plan prediction. I, I think you, you mentioned maybe spying uh, Russell Wilson. I think the Niners will go to that at some point in this game. And it's because they're able to, because they don't need to blitz. I think they're going to rush their four guys to get after him. They're going to drop six into coverage, and they're going to play, instead of Drake Greenlaw a lot, they're going to play Al Shazir a lot because he's faster and he's able to outrun Russell Wilson, whereas I think Drake Greenlaw is more of a push. They're going to play him faster, and they're going to tell him, sit in the middle of the field, spy Wilson, mirror him. If he tries to cross the line, get up and stop him so that he can't scramble. I mean, what's the downside to that? you got six guys in coverage, and you got four guys pass rushing that have been getting home consistently when there's only four. So I'm making that prediction that Dre Greenlaw will not play as much as Al Shazier. Um, But as far as a a score prediction, I'm going to go 27, 24, 49ers. I I thought about going Seattle. This is definitely the closest I've come because it is, it is Seattle. You you Mm -hmm. just always have that dread coming into this week and the Niners. I mean, the shoes got to drop at some point, you know, they can't be wearing the Ruby slippers every game or whatever, however you want to describe it. You know, they're eight. No, at some point they're going to have a truly complete down week, but I am going to pick them here at home. So far this season, they've risen to every test. They are on a revenge tour, starting with, I mean, to start not starting with, but including going into Washington where Kyle Shanahan and his dad were fired beating them, beating the Rams. Sean McVay embarrassed Kyle Shanahan last year, beating the Panthers, the team that Kyle Shanahan lost to in his first game at Levi Stadium where their team, the team was embarrassed. Now it comes down to, are they going to take revenge on the Seahawks? Is this the, the next team on the revenge tour? And I feel like this team is so well-grounded because of guys like Richard Sherman 
and Emmanuel Sanders now, the guys that have been Super Bowl champions and the guys that understand what it takes to achieve greatness, they, they don't seem like they get too high or too low. I'm so interested, interested to see what they do when they come out in this game. Are they going to be super tight? Are they going to be loose? Are they going to be making mistakes? Are they going to be hitting all cylinders? What are they going to do? And I'm with you. This is, this is going to be a close game. And I think that I've been waffling back and forth as well. Like this is literally like a coin flip for me just because it's Seattle. If it was any other team that's seven and two, if you take that name off of that record, I would be like, this is Niners all day. I don't even care who it is. However, that team with that history and that psychological factor, it changes everything. So I'm going to go Niners too. And I'm going to say the Niners will win 28, 24. So I'll one up you if you will. And uh, in the points and the Niners will win 28, 24. Seattle is not going to stop anybody. It's not going to be a low scoring game. It's going to be either a shootout or the Niners will stop Seattle from scoring very many points. We have to remember that Russell Wilson before this year, an interesting stat that I had uh, actually heard was that before this year, Russell Wilson had only won less than 25% of his games that uh, the opposition scored more than 25 points. And I believe he had played 31 or 32 such games. Now this year he's won four games. He won all four games that that's happened. So he's evolved as a quarterback and them allowing points is not a big deal anymore because he can score points. So I think that it's going to be one of those games where it gets up into the twenties, but the Niners defense will make a couple of stops. Jimmy will have a field day with their, with their defense. I don't, I don't have any doubt about that. And that the Niners will win. This will be another signature 49ers defense, Jimmy Garoppolo, Kyle Shannon win. Yeah. I mean, who knows? It's going to be Monday night. The Niners, if I'm not mistaken, the Niners have, the highest win percentage on Monday Night Football. They have the most wins. Yep, they have forty. The most wins. I was going to say. I yep. remember seeing a stat in the last game. I couldn't remember exactly what it was. So, I mean, it's Monday Night Football. It's, it, that's when the Niners shine. So, hopefully, that continues because I really don't want to lose a primetime game, let alone one to Seattle. Especially not not to those jerks. <laughs> yeah. Well, we it's will not- have an excuse if it happens. So, yeah, because we'll- stats wasn't here this week to do the podcast. Exactly. We'll blame it on stats, and and we should. We should see if we can somehow splice his prediction in like a voiceover, like <laughs> <laughs> voiceover with, with what he, he would have predicted. It wouldn't have been nice to, to hear what who we thought would have won, but I'm sure he would have picked Niners too. So there we go, man. So for 11 Black, this is Zane Nackby. Missing Stats Guerrero, but we'll see him next week. This has been another episode of the 49ers Web Zone No Huddle Podcast, sponsored by the QBSneak.com. Remember, for accurate predictions on every NFL matchup and thought-provoking NFL content that can help your fantasy teams or confidence pools, head to theqbsync.com. Talk to you later, guys.